Blog Talk Radio. Hi there, I'm Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio, and this show is a celebration of baby boomers who are embracing life as we grow older. And there's no better way to do that than by getting lost in the pages of a riveting story. And in all my years as an interviewer, there are few books as fascinating and as compelling as the one we'll be discussing today. Our guest is Erica Schickel, and you'll recognize her father, Richard Schickel, as a long-running film critic for Time magazine, but his daughter had an even more remarkable life, which she shares in her just-released memoir, The Big Hurt. This book is an incredible lead, and I can't wait to get started, so welcome, Erica. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I would like to start out by paraphrasing from a blurb, and I mentioned it before we got on air. It's on the back of your book's cover, and it says it all for me. <laughs> and the author wrote, this is one of the top five books I've ever read, and I don't remember what the other four were. So congratulations. Thank you. I love that blurb so much, too. It's really funny. Absolutely. And you must be so excited to get the book out in the world. I know the official launch was uh, about a month ago, so things are moving ahead for you. But, uh, wow, what a, what an event. I mean, I know you've also had an, other books published, but this has got to be very special to you. Well, it really is. I mean, this is my second book, um, and it took me no less than 12 years to write. So I am very grateful to be done with it and to have it have living its own life in the world now, for sure. Well, and 12 years, I mean, that is, I guess you could call it a labor of love, but I think it was a labor of mixed emotions, I would think, because it took a lot of courage yeah. to tell your story. And, oh, my gosh, you've got the, you know, such talent. I know you came, you came by it honestly because both your parents were quite talented and writers and all, but, and the tenacity for getting it finished, how you must have gone back and forth. How did you finally kind of get the will to finish this? Suck her up and get it out there. Well, the reason it took so long is because events just kept happening. So I started out wanting to simply write a sort of funny, nostalgic memoir about my, the four years I spent in a bohemian boarding school in western Massachusetts from 1978 to 1982. And I was a humor writer. My first book was a memoir called You're Not the Boss of Me. And um, I just wanted to continue on that vein. You know, I had been called Irma Bombeck in leather, sort of like fun and feisty, <laughs> to use your word. And yet when I started looking at the story, which is the story of how I was sent to this boarding school um, against my will, and learn to love it, totally acclimated there. And then in the spring of my senior year, I was seduced by a music teacher. And the affair, which lasted all of one week, was discovered by his wife. <laughs> and the school fired him and effectively had me expelled. They couldn't do it legally, but they sort of said, we think you need to leave and tonight. And I did. I had, did not have the counsel of my parents or anything like that. And as a result, I ended up carrying this shame as sort of a funny story because I didn't know how to look at it. And then as I started writing the book, 
I began to realize that I wasn't a bad, naughty girl, you know, as I had sort of fancied myself, but in fact that I had been an abandoned and very hurt girl. And something had happened to me in high school that I had taken all of the blame for, when in fact, you know, I had none of the power in that situation. Wow, yeah. I, and, and too, as a reader, uh, you, you, could, you, you could feel the, the real pain that you went through here, too. At the, and I remember in the book, you were at the, towards the end of your senior year, you were, you were a hot shot on campus, life was good, and, mm-hmm. um, you know, you fell into this relationship. As you said, the power imbalance was certainly there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you were the one that were, you know, were tasked with being the bad girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the teacher suffered no repercussions, to my knowledge. He had also been simultaneously teaching at Bennington College, and the Buxton School never let Bennington know that they had a predator on their faculty. So, you know, I was the one, I had been exiled from my community, um, and then I went and lived with the teacher for six weeks that summer, and then he dumped me in a sort of terrible, heartbreaking way. So I entered adulthood with this sort of shroud of shame over me um, and trauma, you know, just the trauma of having lost my family, my mother, my community, my friends, my lover, all of it, um, just was so compounded that I couldn't even look at it for 30 years. And it wasn't until 2008 when I started writing this book and I was contacted by my, one of my best friends from high school, CJ, who the book is dedicated to. And he had, was the only one who knew about me and the teacher. And he told me all those years later, Erica, what happened to you was sexual abuse. What happened to you was, was criminal, was wrong. And it had never once occurred to me until he told me that. And then the whole house of cards just came crashing down. Wow, Erica, I, I can imagine you must have, like when, you know, he was such a wonderful friend to you, and getting that message, did it take a while for it to truly sink in? Did you go, oh, yeah, yeah, or did it really, when he once said that, and I, I think he used the word rape, if I'm remembering yeah. correctly, yeah. that you'd been raped, and um, but it must have taken a while for you to actually accept that, you know, that opinion from him <laughs> and realize, hey, he's speaking the truth. Indeed, it did, you know, and I was very resistant to sort of identifying as the victim of anything because as a sort of neglected latchkey kid, you know, part of my identity was I'm fine, I'm great, I'm in control, you know, and what I was suddenly seeing made me feel very much out of control. So what did I do? Well, instead of addressing and confronting my past in a sort of healthy way, I ran into the arms of a notorious local Lothario, a crime writer who I call Sam Spade in the book, because that seemed easier to break up my marriage and, you know, destroy my family felt easier than confronting my past. And by doing that, all I did was confront my past even more uh, immediately. 
And that's why, going back to why did it take 12 years to write, because then this second part of the story, the middle-aged part, which I toggle between the high school story and the middle-aged story in the book, they, I understood that they were the same story, that, I, uh, that what I was doing as an adult was trying to work out and reenact the trauma of my past. Geez, and one thing I have to say, Erica, too, is uh, in reading the pages of your amazing story, uh, you do not spare yourself. <laughs> you, you know, when, especially when you're talking about your, your, your own family, your children, and how you did reenact some of these things in the past, you are very open as far as, you know, how you repeated some mistakes maybe, or you felt you did, that were, uh, yeah. you know, that you had gone through. And I, I thought, oh, my gosh, this woman is just incredibly brave. And not only are you honest, but you share that. And it's it's really something, Erica. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. Um, you know, I'm a truth teller. I've always have been, even back in high school. You know, I was always the kid who was just saying the thing, you know, that everybody might be yeah. thinking or nobody wants to say. And, you know, as I matured and became a writer, you know, I, my first exercise was making sense of the world around me as a writer. And then when I came to this story, I understood that I needed to investigate that past and account for it. And I'm not a perfect character in this story. Um, you know, I, there are things that happened, particularly around my children and the dissolution of my marriage that I wish desperately I had done differently. However, I didn't make the mistakes that my parents made. And I feel like that is something that, you know, mothers, parents, you know, always have to contend with in some way. Are we going to repeat the mistakes of our parents or are we gonna find a new way to parent this next generation? And I feel like I did, you know, I feel pretty pretty good about that. (laughs) That's yeah, and and you can tell. And at the end of the book, you could, you know, you really got that sense that you were whole, your family was whole, and you know, everyone had been through stuff. But you know, that's life too. And I, you know, it just kind of you didn't wrap it all up in a nice neat bow. I'm not saying that, but mm-hmm. you could tell that your life is good now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I say at the end of the book, I quote Sam Spade, who would always say to me, "Closure is a shock." meaning just a total (laughs) lie, you know. And it's true. There really is no such thing as closure. I mean, this book is the closest I can get to it. And it does allow me to sort of move on with my life and, you know, look at other subjects uh, in my work. But, but yeah, I mean, that hurt. And now that I've named it and identified, it doesn't mean it goes away. It just means I understand it now. And my hope with this book, you know, with my readers, is that this is a, in some ways like a primer on just the value of loving your inner child. I mean, to use sort of yeah. that kind of verbiage. But, you know, what I had to do is I had to go back and reparent myself and say, Erica, and that's the ending of the book, you know, you were a beautiful, free-spirited child worthy of all of the love and attention and that you didn't get. And it's okay, I'm going to give it to you. And I think that's something we can all do for ourselves, especially in our 50s, you know, as we are sort of wrapping up 
the raising of our own children and we are marking the passing of our parents and, you know, what do we want to leave behind? What kind of people and experiences and, you know, do we want to create? So that's what I'm after. Well, and as we'd mentioned earlier, um, you uh, at the final pages of your book, you're kind of reviewing the, the process of writing the book, and you did say that you much of it was written in public libraries, which I was mm-hmm. just thinking, first off, it had to be so cathartic. You're reparenting yourself. How did you stop yourself from screaming, crying, laughing in the middle of the public library? <laughs> Well, first of all, at the at the West Hollywood Public Library where I was working, they have a couple of like sealed off private glass enclosed rooms and you could reserve that room for free. So I would go and close myself into this glass room where I could make as much noise as I wanted to. But also there were many days where I couldn't write. I mean, it took a long time because I didn't know how to do it. It's a, you know, it was a complex yeah. book. And I had to, a lot to say, and I had to understand my experience before I could write it down. So, you know, there were days where it was just too hard to write, and I didn't. Wow. Well, I, I, I would think that that would be true. I would think that there would be a certain amount of dread to going in there and, you know, kind of bringing all this to light. And it, so there was a lot of non-writing writing going on in your head, I'm sure. I mean, just kind of coming to grips with oh. everything. Yeah, and I spent a long time researching, too. I'm, you know, going through all of my family members are archivists, so everybody saved everything. So, you know, like I have a few amazing letters from my father in the book that, you know, I had saved, and then there was another letter that he had saved. And so I was able to sort of revisit the past as uh, an investigative reporter. And that kept me busy for a long time and also kept me safe, you know, having my reporting hat on. Um, But then there were definitely moments where I had to bring just the great knell of sadness, you know, to the page. And, you know, that's the work. (laughs) Yeah, that and is the work. That's for sure. I wanted it to be sure. a, a fun read. I wanted it to be an amusing read and a lively read and a page turner. So I also had to find, you know, while I was being hard on myself and taking a hard look at the past, also, you know, where is the levity here and where, where can the sunshine peek through? Um, you know, and that's the best response that I've gotten is that people are really having a good time reading the book. That, yeah, even though, again, there were a lot of issues and, you know, that you brought out and, and difficult passages in your life, your real talent, I mean, I don't, here I am telling you, you're real, but for me as a reader was to be able to put it all down and make it so engaging for people to not only understand that, wow, you had, you went through some stuff, but you did it in such a delightful way that literally, and this rarely occurs with me, but I sat there, I think five, six hours in a row just reading I, I literally couldn't put it down so that's uh, a real talent Erica <laughs> well thank you that is 
Those are the words every author yearns to hear as she labors in her glass-enclosed library room. I'd be banging on the door going, go, Erica, go. (laughs) Well, tell me, I mean, first off, you've you've gotten a lot of, you know, critical acclaim. It's doing really well. But what, what, what kind of feedback have some of your friends given you who may not have known the whole depth of your personal story? Well, I mean, it's been it's been really an amazing experience hearing from the people who thought they knew me best, you know, who are saying just, you know, a lot of this and I knew, and then there there's details that I didn't know, and I'm so angry at your parents, you know, but I'm also, you know, I also love the character of your father, and he, you know, and it feels like I'm seeing him again, you know, because my father only died few years ago. So, um, you know, and my children have read and are reading the book. One has read it, the other is in the middle of it. And, you know, and they are getting a sort of a new dimension of insight to their own experience, you know, and their experience of their mother. So it's been really good. You know, I just thought of that. I mean, what a gift you've given to the world, but you've given especially to your daughters to really have a mm-hmm. knowledge of, oh, that's what happened to mom. And I, I mean, I, I, I think that that is like one of the biggest legacies of this book is to so that your your two daughters really know, you know, a lot about you as a human being, not just as a mom. And that's, I mean, that's the goal. We are here as human beings. And the mother-child role is, you know, it's both eternal and temporary, you know. I mean, my children are not children anymore, and they have created their own identities. And there are places where we are in agreement and places where we diverge. But, you know, the love between us is so clear and strong that it is not scary for them if we disagree, you know. I always felt with my mother that our disagreement would lead to further abandonment. And with them, they don't, they never had that feeling. You know, they always knew that I was here for them first before anything else, before the work, before the relationship, before anything. So, you know, that, that's, that's an enduring legacy and I'm proud of it. Absolutely. And, you know, speaking of your own mother, too, at the end when she was dying, I know you wrote that she she apologized to you. She did. Lord bless her. You know, I mean, she died uh, an fairly unhappy and conflicted woman. Um, And she died very quickly. She got a cancer diagnosis and was gone within, you know, two and a half months. And... um, and I brought her, she had been living in New York, and we had been estranged from each other on and off all our lives. And I brought her from New York to live with me in my father's house where I was living because my father had been moved into assisted living because he was falling to dementia. So mom came home with me, and I saw her through to the end, and it was not easy to take care of someone who had never taken care of me. And yet at the same time, it was one of the most beautiful and redemptive experiences, I think, that either of us could have hoped for. Geez, Erica. Well, 
Well, I have to say, you did mention that one of the messages you want to impart to your readers is reparenting our inner child for using a one of those glib phrases, but uh, not that you use it, I'm using it. But what are some of the other messages that you hope your readers will take away from the book? Um, you know, one important one to me is, is is the message of just connection and understanding, you know, that what what we deal with in otherness, you know, in conflict is often just the result of people are traumatized and people are behaving badly because they don't know how to do it. And that the application of compassion is never wasted. I mean, one of the things, you know, I come through this book and my affair with the bad man and my terrible parents, but in the end, it's not a poison pen memoir. You know, I'm not here to, you know, uh, to trash anybody's reputation. You know, I'm really here to look at that. And what I came to, the understanding I came to at the end was that all of these people were hurt children inside and that they deserve compassion and understanding. It doesn't mean they deserve to, you know, screw with us anymore and that boundaries are important and often life-saving. I don't want to underplay that. But I also think that, you know, being angry about the people who hurt you is never going to heal you. Well, and I was going to ask you, I mean, you share these wonderful messages for your readers, but the process of writing this must have imparted some pretty big messages to you. Uh, was that what you were just mentioning about the compassion and understanding people are only hurt children, or did you have another message that really kind of struck you as you went through this process? I mean, I, you know, I... <laughs> There were years uh, when, when Sam Spade, the, the noir writer, dumped me, and it was a very tortured breakup. And I found myself rocketed back to the same level of sort of ego-obliterating heartbreak that I had experienced after the teacher dumped me in my French freshman year of college, that sort of nihilistic, desperate, desperate sadness. And it flattened me for a long, long time. And, you know, it was finally I, I had a dream. In, and this is back to the inner child. I had a dream in which I saw my mother, my father, and, and Sam Spade as children. And I saw, you know, each of them in their own homes in this dream. My father was in his, the backyard of his grandmother's house. My mother was in her house in West L.A. where she grew up. And uh, Sam Spade, similarly. And I woke up from that dream just understanding that, that the only solution to this problem is the, is the focused and conscious application of love. That's all it is. Parenting and loving are the children we make, being responsible for them, healing our inner children as adults. It's the only way. There's no other route out of this mess. The only way is through towards love. Oh, my gosh, Erica. I have truth chills just vibrating all over my body. I'm about I'm in tears. I, I've been really looking forward to this interview. I can't thank you enough uh, for not only sharing your time, but, of course, your incredible story with us. Thank you so, so much. It's what a pleasure it has been talking with you today. 
Well, believe me, <laughs> I feel exactly the same. And I do wish you great continued success with The Big Hurt. And for all of you listeners out there, you are going to want to make sure that you get your hands on this book. Because once you do, uh, believe me, you will not be able to put it down. I do have to read a lot of books with what I do. And this one was uh, it's so beyond the pale. I, I can't even express it in words. But it's great to be able to speak with the beautiful, talented author. So thank you again, Erica. Thank you again. Thank you so, so much. This has been great fun. Well, great fun for me, too. And until next time, this is Mary Eileen Williams at Feisty Side of 50 Radio. Saying I'll catch you later. Bye-bye.